So something we did not talk much about in the church these days is the significance of the burial of Jesus. Okay? We talk much of his life, even more of his death, and perhaps equally or maybe even more of his resurrection. But something happened in between the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. He was buried. Now, we confess this truth in the Apostles' Creed as a church saying, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, some translations say Hades. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's what our Apostles' Creed says, right? We believe that. That's what we believe about Jesus. Now, of all the amazing truths that we could confess about Jesus, the Apostles' Creed has narrowed it down to these very few statements. I mean, if you think about all that Jesus done in that little paragraph there of Jesus, what's put there? Within these very few statements, they give space to none other than what? The burial of Jesus. They want to make sure that you catch the burial of Jesus. Why? Why did the burial make it? And not a word is mentioned of his miracles. Why did the early church find it more important to mention that he was buried in their creed than say that he was transfigured or uh, that he healed a a blind man or or whatever it might have been? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the creed is an essential exposition of the truths that we must confess from the scriptures. In other words, it's what you have to believe to be a Christian. And scripture itself proclaims that the burial of Jesus is of first importance. Of first importance as it relates to the gospel. Hear Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. This is Paul when he thinks of the gospel. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you, which you received and in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Okay, here it is. For I delivered to you as of first importance. In other words, this is the most important thing about the gospel. I delivered to you what uh, I received uh, as first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So above everything else, Paul says this is of first importance. When you think of the gospel, when you think of Jesus, this is what you must believe. This is what people are being saved by, he says. So if you're going to draw a circle around things of first importance, we might say firsthand issues of the Christian faith uh, that are non-negotiable boundaries. This is it. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Not tongues. Not millennial views, not ecclesiology, simply death, burial, and resurrection. So today we're going to spend some time talking about that, the the burial. We've talked about the the, the death of Jesus. We haven't talked about the resurrection yet, but this week we're going to talk about the burial, burial of Jesus and why that is so important. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19. We're going to finish the chapter looking at verses 38 through 42. These are the words of God, church. Let's give attention to them. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. 
Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came mixing or bringing a mixture of myrrh and ales, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word, the place where you instruct us, the place that you give us truths about your son Jesus, the place where you tell us where the things of first importance are. So as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would teach us as we sit at your feet. Lord, we pray that we would be able to to take from your scriptures, to, to drink from the well that you've placed before us, that we might have our minds illumined to the truths that we find therein. I pray that you'd shape and mold us today according to the image of your son, Jesus, as we so often pray. We want to be like you. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, some of these things uh, can, can be hard and difficult to see if we aren't given the Holy Spirit to inspire us, to help us to see things more clearly, to see the themes all throughout Scripture as you point us to the truths that we find therein. And Lord, we pray that you would encourage us today. I pray that you would help us to see how this text applies to our own lives. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, why is the burial of Jesus so important? Well, if we haven't hammered the nail enough, this is why our catechisms are so important. They answer these vital questions of the faith for us. Do you remember Heidelberg Catechism question number 41 a couple weeks ago? Why was he buried? Referring to Jesus. The answer? Did anyone memorize it by chance? Probably not. I didn't memorize it either. But it tells us, question 41, why was he buried? And the answer is, his burial testified that he really died. And this is important. By being buried, the scripture gives us credible witness that Jesus didn't just fake his death. He didn't fake it. Some people accused him of it. Now, now, Jesus could have faked death and said, into your hands I commit my spirit, and then breathe his last, last kind of a fake breath. Or just, and, and people would think, oh, okay, that's it. But, but John gives us numerous proofs that he indeed was dead. Okay, in verse 33 and 34, some of you weren't here uh, last week, but we looked and we saw uh, that there was this breaking of the legs practice that people would do to make sure that the bodies, if they weren't dead yet, they would break the legs and then they wouldn't be able to hang and support themselves so they would actually suffocate and die. So they, they broke the legs of those crucified, but they got to Jesus and they said, well, he's already dead. So they didn't break his legs, and that was significant. You can go back and listen to that sermon last week uh, to see why that was significant. So... Uh, Someone might say, well, okay, he was faking it. He was faking his death. That's actually probably what the other soldier thought. As the, the, the people were going around breaking legs, he said, well, this guy might be faking it. So what does he do? He pierces him in the side, right? And blood and water pours out of his side. Now, at this point, we have two witnesses to the death of Jesus. One soldier already thought he was dead. That's why he didn't break his legs. And another confirmed because he wasn't sure, so he poked him in the side, and blood and water came out, right? So then we come to our text today that further substantiates the death of Jesus by telling us in verse 38 that Joseph asked Pilate permission to bury the body of Jesus. 
Now, I want you to think about this. All that's happened so far, Pilate and the relationship with Pilate and the Jews and Jesus. There was no way in the world that Pilate was going to let Joseph do anything with that body unless he knew Jesus was dead. The Jews would have had his head if they just let Jesus go and he was alive and they secretly would just keep him away and then, and then he would come back. There is no way Pilate would release Jesus if he thought that because the Jews would be busting down his door and they would probably have Jesus or they would probably have Pilate's head. So Pilate, he's pretty sure that Jesus, he's absolutely sure that Jesus is dead. So this is why he even gives permission to Joseph of Arimathea. Now, further, Joseph was a secret disciple of Jesus, and it appears Nicodemus apparently had been chewing on the conversations that he and Jesus had some time before about being born again. So here we have these two Jews who are ready to bury Jesus using the, the Jewish rituals of their day. Now, what they would do is they would wrap him up in cloths, and in between the cloths, they would put these burial spices. Right? They're adding burial spices and wrapping Jesus, this body up, in burial spices, 75 pounds of it. I think the King James actually says 100 pounds. Either way, either way that's a lot of weight. That's a lot of uh, poundage going on and, and spices going onto a body. So what are the odds – think about this. What are the odds someone could endure a brutal scourging, which when we looked at the scourging that Jesus went through, we were reminded Cicero says sometimes even that kills people. What are the odds that you could go through a brutal scourging that sometimes kills people, hang on the cross for hours, bleeding from your hands and your feet, undergoing dehydration, remember Jesus says, I thirst, then being speared in the side, have water and blood gush from your side, be manhandled in such a condition, then suffocated in burial cloths with 75 pounds of spices on top of you, then finally left in the tomb, with, as Matthew's gospel says, a great stone rolled in front of it, guarded by Roman soldiers for three days. And don't forget how many days people can live without water. Three. And that's if you aren't dehydrated already, which Jesus obviously was after saying he was thirsty, bleeding out for hours from his hands and feet, and then having what liquids he might have had left gushing from his side. What do you think John is getting at here? Jesus is dead. <laughs> Jesus is very dead. Dead in the sense that all of you know, right? Just plain dead. Now, you're supposed to sense that. I, I want you to get from this text that Jesus really died. All through Scripture, there's, there's a sense of dreaded finality to the grave, and we should feel that as we come to Jesus being buried. Far too often, we skip the burial and jump straight to the resurrection of Jesus. By Jesus being buried, we see that he didn't just die for us and, and immediately kind of jump off the cross. That's sometimes how we think of it, but that's not what happened. Jesus really died, and he was really buried. He hit the literal and the metaphorical rock bottom of death. Okay, He went where every man dreads to go. None of you in here want to go to the grave. None of you want to die. And that's where Jesus went. He went to Sheol, the land of the dead, to Hades. Uh, to hell, as the creed tells us. Jesus went where we did not want to go. So we would do well to remember this essential point of the gospel in our own experience, wouldn't we? Thinking about, we're going to go where Jesus went. When, when hardship comes and we suffer, we shouldn't be shocked if our suffering lingers uh, before our moment of resurrection, should we? We shouldn't freak out when we are actually in that stage of burial. If we, if we preach a gospel... That is only death and resurrection and skips that middle part of burial. We leave people confused when they find themselves buried like Jesus. 
When, when their suffering is going on longer than they wanted. When they're thinking, well, if I become a Christian, then everything's going to be happy, clappy for me, right? No, no, no. There, there are hard times where you are going to uh, be living the life of Christ in, your, in the burial part, right? I talk about this a lot. Being buried with Christ means that you're kind of there for a while. You, you feel the suffering for a bit. So people start asking themselves uh, the same question that the psalmist asks. Will, will you abandon my soul to Hades, to Sheol? Will you leave me there? Will you let your Holy One see corruption, as the, the psalmist says? In other words, wiring your brain with a gospel that does not include burial is only going to short-circuit your thinking when you come into contact with hardship. Your, your mind won't know what to do with it if, you're, if your gospel omits that part. Now, Jesus was buried, and Christians are buried with him too. That's going to be part of your experience. It's death, burial, and resurrection. So let's talk about that for a minute. We might call this a biblical theology of burial. What, what does the Bible tell us about burial? As we look to the scriptures and how all this relates back to us, what do we get? Okay. Now, I'm going to say a big, scary sentence, and I'm going to make sense of it. So consider with me the cosmic typological implications to Jesus being buried from a Jewish standpoint. Now, that's a fancy way of saying let's think like a Jew for a minute and adopt their worldview so we can understand uh, the to- totality of Scripture and the, the picture that it paints for us when we think of burial and the symbolism that is connected with burial and the way that Jesus talks about burial and the New Testament talks about burial. That is, what is the deeper meaning of burial beyond putting a man in the ground? Because if you look at the story, it can just seem, well, well, Jesus got put in the ground and that was it. That's all there is to that. But I, I want to argue this morning that there's actually something more going on here. There's some significance that we might miss if we don't catch the big picture of Scripture and the way that all the symbolism starts to come together to paint a really deep picture for us. So last week, some of you weren't here, but we spoke about the theological significance of Jesus being slaughtered on the day of preparation for the Passover. He, he is the Passover lamb. So like the Passover lamb, which was to be prepared, not having any of its bones broken, that was part of the, the Passover lamb, the, the part of the ritual for that Passover that the Jews kept, not having any of his bones broken, uh, Jesus too was prepared to be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what the crucifixion of Jesus tells us. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Okay, So following this Jewish line of thinking, remember I said we've got to get a, a Jewish worldview to think rightly about this. Following this Jewish line of thinking, I'd like to take this one step further, seeing Jesus again as the Passover lamb. But one element that I omitted last week was that the Passover meal was the first of the Jewish sacrifices that was to be eaten. You eat the Passover meal. okay? And, and many of the other sacrifices were offered in totality to God not to be eaten. So you'd offer a whole burnt offering, you'd burn the whole thing, and you say, it's all yours, God. But the Passover was to be prepared with bitter herbs, we might say spices. And eaten. Okay? Keep that in your back pocket. Put that there. Hold that thought. Okay? Then another Jewish tradition. Okay? We're still thinking like Jews. Another Jewish tradition records a man named Jonah. I think everyone in here is probably familiar with the story of Jonah. Okay? This man was a prophet eaten by a large fish. Some people say a whale. Who knows? Uh, Then he was spat up on the ground back to life. And Jesus makes reference to this story earlier in his ministry. Matthew 12, 39 through 40 says this. He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. You're looking for a sign, a symbol, we might say. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was 
three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay, so Jesus likens his burial to the story of Jonah. He says that you're looking for a sign. Here's your sign. We might say, again, symbol. So what's the symbolism there? Okay, turn with me to Jonah 2. I'd like to look with this. I'd like you to look at uh, this with me as we turn to Jonah 2 and think about how Jesus's burial relates back to Jonah. In Jonah chapter 2, and we see Jonah is eaten by the fish. Jonah chapter 2 says this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, sometimes called Hades, I cried. I'm going to just stop there for a second. Out of the belly of Sheol, the land of the dead. Newsflash, if you didn't know this, Jonah died. Okay, Jonah died. He didn't stay in the whale alive for some time. If he did, what in the world is Jesus talking about that, that Jesus' burial is like that? Actually, Jesus use, uses Jonah as a, an example of actually being for sure dead to liken it to his burial. So if you didn't know that before, here's a new way of reading the story of Jonah. Jonah died. Okay, okay let's keep reading. We're on verse 2 now. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. Jonah's dead. Okay. The deep surrounded me. Then it says, catch this, weeds were wrapped about my head. Now think about that imagery, weeds being wrapped about the head of Jonah as he's dead in the well, almost like burial cloths, right? Kind of is being buried in this heart of the, the large fish for three days. At the roots of the mountains, verse 6, I went down to the land whose bars crossed upon me forever. Yet you brought me or you brought up my life from the pit. Think resurrection. Uh, uh, oh, Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed to pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spit Jonah out upon the dry land. Okay, that's Jonah 2. Remember, we're supposed to be thinking about Jesus. Jesus says, that's the sign I'm giving to you. It's supposed to be something like that. So let's bring this together, bring the stuff out of our pockets, I said, to, to put back there. So, so Jesus, this Passover lamb who has been slaughtered and prepared on, on the day of preparation for the Passover with spices, has been metaphorically swallowed up by the earth like Jonah in the whale. Think about that. Remember, the Passover meal needed to be eaten. The Passover lamb must be eaten. And if this concept of the, the earth swallowing up people seems like a stretch, remember what happened in Korah's rebellion in the Old Testament. Listen to some of these verses. If this seems weird, the way I'm talking about these, this symbolism, remember Jesus says the, the sign's going to be like this. Think about Numbers 16, 31 through 33. And as soon as Mo Moses had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their houses and all their people who belonged to Korah and all their goods so that they had uh, so that all that they belonged to them went down alive to Sheol also called Hades sometimes and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly 
That's weird, right? That's, that's a weird way of talking about it. What, what about other places in Scripture that talks about uh, the earth eating people? Proverbs 1.12. Like Sheol, the land of the dead, let us sw- uh, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go, go down to the pit. Or, or, or Psalms, Psalm 69.15. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Lots of symbolism there, isn't there? Earth eating people, just swallowing things up. So, so do you see the significance that I'm trying to get to here to bring all this together? In the burial of Jesus, the earth has eaten its Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It opened its mouth and swallowed him up in the grave, taking him to Sheol, the land of the dead. And remember, I know this seems weird, but remember what Peter says when he talks about Jesus when he's buried. He goes and ministers to the spirits and prisons since the days of Noah. Oh, weird stuff, right? But here's this really big, beautiful picture that we get of Jesus being the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And the world world comes and partakes of him. So, so the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has been prepared and partaken of by the world. The world has taken its sacrifice in. Okay? So is it any surprise that when we get further into the New Testament, starting to move away from the Old Testament symbolism, the signs that we get, is it any surprise that the further we get into the New Testament, the more baptism is connected with burial? But not burial in dirt. That's the way normally people are buried, right? But burial in water. Like Jonah, who was three days in the belly of the fish, then spat out on the ground. And like Jesus, who says that I will do the sign of Jonah. We might say the symbol of Jonah. This is the way the scripture talks about it in the New Testament. Colossians 2.12. Having been buried with him, we're building a theology of burial. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Death, burial, resurrection. Romans 6, 3-4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Again, so baptism points directly to death burial, and resurrection. It points directly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, Paul says, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, death. That he was buried, burial. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. It's all through scripture. The symbolism screams to it, and it is of first importance when it comes to the gospel. This is what the gospel tells us, and it seems like everything in the Bible is just pointing towards this. So, so what have we learned? Well, we first have learned Heidelberg Catechism question 41, haven't we? Why was he buried? His burial testifies that he really died. It was a real death. And that he died, we saw, was very important because last week we saw he was our Passover lamb. The sacrificial lamb who is prepared without breaking any bones, as the Passover is supposed to be kept, and then cooked with bitter herbs or spices, then eaten, as the Passover lamb must be eaten. And as we saw this week from the biblical imagery, we see Jesus alludes to his burial by talking about the sign of Jonah, wherein he will be eaten by the earth and in the belly of the earth for three days. 
So we conclude from this that Jesus truly is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He meant it. He really was this this one that is bringing all the new creation. All of it. He's making all things new. And the earth has kind of proverbially eaten him so that he's able to bring about this new creation. And, And as the world swallows up its Passover lamb and the burial of Jesus, this event takes on new meaning as it relates to baptism and as it connects back to us. Because in baptism, we are buried with him. But the scriptures say not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clean conscience through the resurrection of Christ, who has gone into the heavens and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So for us, right, because that's what we're trying to do. We built out this theology of baptism or uh, burial, and uh, we were trying to relate it back to us. So for us, we see that the, the meaning of burial of Jesus is most clearly seen in baptism. That's where we start to understand really what Jesus gets at when he is buried. And that meaning is important because it's a promise. It's a promise. It's a promise that what is true of Jesus will be true of us. The promise is that God will not abandon your soul to Sheol or to Hades, as the psalmist says. He will not let his Holy One see corruption. He will not let the depths of the sea cover us forever. He will not let death swallow us up in victory. There it is. But proclaim to us that death itself has been swallowed up in victory by the power of the resurrection. That's what it tells us. That's where we start to get a full meaning, where we see that Jesus wins through this. So church, if your conscience is sullied, look to your baptism. If you're starting to not be able to make sense of things, not make sense of the world, where do you look? You look to your your baptism. That that place where the new creation is echoed to you, where you can see clearly what God is doing. If you're feeling wrapped up in the weeds of death, suffering under anxiety, right? Look to your baptism. If you feel like you're suffocating, like depression's kind of creeping in, you're feeling like Jesus, like you're in that burial stage, look to your baptism. There's lots of promises connected there. If you feel like a stone's been rolled over your grave to seal your fate, look to your baptism. There's a lot promised there. There's a lot yelling at you there, screaming at you there, the gospel, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you were baptized, the earth didn't swallow you for good. You were spit out on dry land to proclaim the good news of the gospel, just like Jonah, just like Jesus in his resurrection. Our life is likened to him. Do you not know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, Paul says? Take that question seriously. We were buried, therefore, with him, in baptism, into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, you too, church, might walk in newness of life. That's what burial means for us, church. As we look to the burial of Jesus, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on in your lives. You realize that uh, just saying you're going through a hard season doesn't really catch the whole meaning there, right? Just like when you look at the burial of Jesus, it doesn't catch it all on the surface. You've got to dig deeper and start to see that there's a lot going on, but Jesus speaks to all of it. God speaks to all of it. He knows it intimately. And the place that you go to get your conscience uh, clear, your conscience appeal uh, to, to heaven to be able to say, what am I thinking? What am I thinking? Baptism. That's where you go. Jesus tells you. Death, burial, resurrection. That's where it's at. That's what the gospel's about. That's what's actually going to bring you centered back to see where God's working all things together for your good. He's recreating all things, reconciling all things to himself. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You see it in baptism. You see his burial there. Amen? Let's pray. Father, your scriptures are wild. (laughs) 
We, we look to your word and we try to, to, to draw a solid line of sense, make sense of the scriptures and see how all the symbolism works together to, to tell us things, to encourage us in things, to comfort us in things, and to be able to apply it to our lives. So Lord, I pray for every single person in this room this morning as we look to this text of the burial of Jesus, seeing that he really died and what that means for us. Lord, I pray that you would impress on everyone's heart here to see that if they're going through suffering, if they're going through hardship, they have a great promise given to them. That they can find deeper meaning even in their suffering. They can find deeper meaning in their burial season because of what you have done for us. You've went there before we did. You were the first fruits of all creation, of the new creation. And Lord, we look to you and to what you've done, what you promised to us in your burial. And we see that most clearly as we look to ourselves and the baptism that you've promised all these things to us. You've promised the gospel to us. And Lord, help us to stand fast in it. We thank you that we are being saved by it, as Paul says. We trust in you and we thank you for speaking to us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us continue.